Thanks so much. Hey, was worship awesome or what? That was just amazing, and I'm so glad uh, I get a chance just to sit here and worship with you guys and see you guys enter in. Uh, you know, there are defining moments. There are moments in life where uh, you do not see typically defining moments coming in advance. It's only in retrospect that you look back and you go, oh, my God, I'm so glad I made that decision that God, you know, moved on my heart strong enough that I followed him. Or, or sometimes it's the opposite, that, man, we didn't make the right decision in those defining moments. But I believe, like, in the midst of defining moments, it's in these defining moments that we don't realize that it's like in that moment, time stands still. I believe these are defining moments for your lives, not just Spiritual Emphasis Week, but the age uh, that you are. I just remember, uh, you know, I've got, I've got a son and a daughter uh, probably at this point older than you guys, but I just remember my college days and how God marked my life, and he marked my life in such a way. And I want to talk to you just a little bit about what I feel like God is marking uh, this emerging generation with. And so if you've got a Bible, go to 1 Kings chapter 18. I, too, welcome all the pastors and leaders. Thanks so much for joining us, men and women of God, alumni, awesome. Right out of those double doors, we have some product. We've got uh, our, our book that I've written, Prophetic Evangelism. And uh, Jordan and I, we just got back, uh, I think it's probably a couple weeks, uh, involved with a big, massive training people for prophetic evangelism and release them uh, in the way, way west uh, and, and way, way north. It was up in uh, uh, where Washington State is, is, is in north. Wherever Washington State is at, that's where we were at. And we were training and equipping people in prophetic evangelism and then it moved over to the Washington State big arena. But prophetic evangelism simply says this. It would be one thing if I walk up to you and I say, Jesus loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. Heaven is good, hell is hot, give your life to Christ because you don't want to go to that other place. Many people probably in this generation, there's Teflon involved and so they can just easily brush that off. But I believe that there's a space and a place in God's love where God reveals his thoughts to us in a way that we can witness to people. And say you walk up to the same person and you go, five years ago you were in an automobile accident, you ended up in a hospital and you cried out and you said, God, if you get me off this bed, I'll serve you. And yes, uh, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Heaven is good. Hell is hot. You need to give your life to Christ. How many of you think approach B could have a better uh, uh, success rate? I absolutely believe that. I absolutely believe it's time to deploy the gift of prophecy to the street. So I've written that message, written that book. All right. We're going to start reading at 1 Kings 18, and it's a very familiar passage, but I want to take a different twist on it. It says, and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. And, and the word there present means to exhibit. It means to manifest. Now notice that there was a contingency before the outpouring. I'm going to require you, Elijah, to confront the prevailing principality, Ahab. I'm going to require you to confront this before I send the rain. You're going to have to do this. I'm going to break the drought. I'm going to pour out. But I need you to do this first. You're going to have to confront something. All right? Now watch this. It says, uh, so, verse 2, so Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in the land. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For so it was, while Jezebel uh, massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave, and he had fed them with bread and water. Now, jump really down to verse 17, because this is now that confrontation. Then it happened, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, uh, O troubler of Israel? And he said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your daddy. No, that's how we would say in Oakland. It actually says you and your father's house, okay? You have to be from the hood to play the dozens, okay? Your mama, your daddy, all right. Anyway, but you and your father's house, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Azra who eat at Jezebel's table. My defining moment came several different times in college. One of my earlier ones is when I gave my life to Christ, I had pledged this wild fraternity. Uh, we 
uh, branded ourselves with an upside-down horseshoe. That would be an omega sign. And, uh, you know, probably today we would have tatted ourselves, but actually we branded ourselves. And I laid hands on mine and put vitamin E on it. It has gone away. You cannot see it. And that's amazing. But I remember when I gave my life to Christ, I had to come back to my fraternity brothers that we had partied together, hoorahed. And I remember that point that I'm going to tell these guys I've given my life to Christ and I'm not going to be going to that party with you. I'm not going to be out there trying to pick up on what y'all are picking up on. In fact, I'm going to let you guys go. I love you. And man, hey, we can hang out and everything, but I'm going a completely different direction. And I don't know why, but these were the guys that came in with me. I had known them for, at this point, a year, but it was, it was crammed. It was com- uh, comprehensive. We had done so much stuff together. Then in that moment, I felt like this was really a big deal. Right after that, uh, there had been a guy that had come to our campus, and he had stood up on our campus. And uh, I, I am for anyone who preached the gospel, I just feel like maybe his gospel flavor uh, needed a little bit of help. He came, and he had a suit on, nothing wrong wearing a suit. And he railed on the students and told them they were filthy, rotten, brood of vipers, and you're going to split hell wide open, and a prostitute can't make a plug dime on this campus because what they get paid for, you give away for free. And some men had long hair, and he made jokes about their sexual preference. This is what this older gentleman who was conservative said. I'm a student, and as I'm a student, tears fill my eyes. And I go, hey, I respect my elders, but hey, man, that's not Jesus. And, and I, these are fellow students of mine. And I remember that moment, my chest pounding like something. It was a defining moment because it would begin something. For, it was this defining moment where all of a sudden he kind of stopped and was going to ask people to meet him at a certain place. And he was going to continue. Uh, first, it was this uh, diatribe of attack and venomous barbed hurl uh, insults. But then he was going to enter into some sort of heated debate with people. And I stood up as a student. And I just began, I didn't slam him, but I began to stand up and share with them that it was the love of God that turned my life around. That knowing that I was a sinner, and I I believe in, in preaching on that, no doubt about it, but that was not the good news for me. The good news for me was that there was nothing that I had done that could make Jesus not love me. And I remember standing up in that moment, and it marked me. Now, fast forward. I'm still a student. I'm invited along with the guy who's discipling me to San Jose State. San Jose State was at that time probably pretty high, at least in California, as party school in America. And we were going to get the amphitheater theater tour in San Jose. Uh, we were going to do some things that were going to get their attention. The guy I was with, he would break bricks, bend steel bars. I did a little uh, martial arts. I was going to, you know, break some boards and stuff. And then he would share. That was the plan. And so we go out there. A good crowd comes out. He begins to do this. And he says, hey, Sean, I feel like, man, you should share your testimony. So I stood up. I shared my testimony. Uh, he came up behind me. Uh, he gave an appeal. And students gave their life to Christ right out there at San Jose State. So I'm put in the way. There was broken pieces of brick, broken people, like power team stuff, man. All right? We're putting all this away. And I see this guy walk over to me, right? And he's walking over to me. And I can tell by his walk, he's cool, you know, and his walk. See, back in the day, you had a walk where it looked like somebody shot you in the hip. That, that, was, your, that was your cool walk, you know, and he kind of had this walk like this, and he's coming over, so I, okay, I know what's going on here. So he comes over to me, and he's kind of rubbing his nose, and he's looking around, and he's looking around, and he said, hey, man, I respect what you're doing, man. That's awesome. And I said, oh, cool, cool. Hey, my name's Sean. What's your name? And he tells me his name, and he said, hey, man. I really, really respect what you guys are doing out here. And I said, oh, that's awesome, man. And I said, hey, man, are, are, are you a believer, you know? And he said, uh, uh, uh. And when you respond with a, uh, uh, you know what's going on, right? And he finishes his thought, and he says, if it wasn't for one thing, I would be doing what you're doing. So I'm curious, okay, what is that, right? Like, uh, okay, this is a mild interpretation of what he's saying. But he sees me stand up and preach Christ on a college campus. He's saying if it was one thing, he would be ready to be Billy Graham on his college campus and preach the gospel if it wasn't for one thing. And I'm thinking, somebody's got a gun to this dude's head and said, I will shoot you and your family if you preach the gospel. I mean, what is it that could be one thing, right, that could keep a dude from doing it? And he looks around and he says, hey, man, the ladies. I'm like, are there like some sister nun terrorists that are trying to... Like, you got to be kidding me. 
And he looked at me like I was going to be okay with that, with the exception of the Lord had delivered me out of immorality. I'd stood up on my campus, uh, you know, my own campus a time. Now this is probably my second time doing open air. And so I felt like I just needed to be straight with him. And I said, hey, you mean to tell me that Jesus Christ had died on the cross, that man bore the weight of your sin and my sin on his back. He is spotless. He was innocent. He paid the price for us. That you are not willing to identify with the God that sent his son to die for you? And it was kind of like, are you kidding me? And he's looking at me like, well, the ladies. And I said, hey, man. Your issue is not the ladies. We could put you on Gilligan's Island with just a skipper and kind of the professor and get Mary Ann and Ginger off of it. Y'all have to watch Nick at Night to know that reference, okay? <laughs> Your problem is not, can you imagine standing before God and say, God, because of half the population on the planet, I wasn't able to serve you. But God, had you not put ladies on the planet, I'd have been Billy Graham, man. I'd have been Reinhard Bonnke, winning Africa, blind dice opened. That's what I would have been. And I said to him, and I was just straight because he was straight. I said, dude, that excuse will melt so fast in the presence of God. And I said, hey, let me just say this. And this came out of me. I said, if you can't serve God where you're at, you can't serve God anywhere. One more quick story, and then we're going to quickly dissect this. My third open air. I told you my first one, I told you my second, third one. My campus pastor tells me that a particular uh, minister, very, very awesome minister, they, they do apologetics, and this guy went out on San uh, Francisco State Campus, and he began to do this thing, but his approach was definitely intellectual. His approach was he would enter into argument and he would, he would demonstrate to them that they're using circular reasoning and there's really no foundation. Praise God for that. Grateful for that. Absolutely stand with that. I would love to be even a greater apologetic than I am, but I, I, I absolutely stand with it. Unfortunately, the, uh, at that time, there was a particular LGBTQT group literally lifted this dude up, picked him up, threw him off campus and broke all of his signs. He had a bunch of signs and stuff. And so my campus pastor said, we're going to go to that campus. And I'm like, did you hear from God on that? I'm hearing through my buddies what happened to the last dude to do this. And you're going to say that we're going to, so we did it. So we go out there, we do the same thing. And my campus pastor hands me the mic. This time he didn't tell me that I was going to share. And I'm standing in front and this particular group of students, the, uh, they were called the Gay and Lesbian Student Alliance at the time. They made a human chain in front of me, locking arms so that no one could hear the gospel. And many of them, I'm sure, had been hurt. There's stuff in their background. There probably might have been some religious folks that have wounded them. But here I am in the mic, and I see this hostile chain in front of me. And then I'm brought back to this moment because I feel like we've entered into this moment again in America. And I felt like in this moment that, man, I should just shut up. I shouldn't say anything. I shouldn't say anything that could be considered offensive. I certainly don't want them to get mad at me and pick me up because there were some buff brothers in that group, okay? Don't want them to pick me up and throw me off in a fountain on the other side of campus someplace. And all of a sudden, I began to share my testimony. I began to share with you how my mom and dad met in a nightclub. I was the oops. My dad said to my mom, you need to get an abortion. I don't want to marry you. Do something with the child. My mom chose to keep me. Met my dad for the first time at five. He shot by policemen, proven in court and, and murdered when I was nine. Proven in court, it was racially motivated that these officers of the San Jose Police Department had a background in the KKK. They had profiled my dad. My dad committed no crime, didn't look like anyone that committed a crime. Raised by an alcoholic. And I talked about all of this, but I talked about the first thing that God said to me when I gave my life to Christ is I'll be a father to the fatherless. Didn't even know that was in the Bible. And I shared with them, not knowing years later, a mentor of mine, Winky Prattney, says the message for the LGBTQT is orphan, is Father God, is identity. And here I am sharing my testimony that essentially I was an orphan, and the first thing God said to me is, I'll be a father to you. Five students broke the line. I'm not exaggerating. I am not. Five of them broke the line, walked forward sobbing to give their life to Christ. And in that moment, I dropped the mic. <laughs> I'm not talking hashtag drop the mic. I'm talking about... My heart so overwhelmed me, I dropped the mic. I started hugging and sobbing with them. And I began to realize something. And this is what I want to tell you. Unless we break out, they can't break free. 
And you cannot get the hand of God's blessing if you're in the grip of man's approval. You, okay, you cannot get... You cannot get the hand of God's blessing if you're in the grip of man's approval. Saddest, most bleakest, most embarrassing, most humiliating piece of heavenly YouTube that could ever be replayed on that day, 1 Kings 18.4, simply says the prophets hid in caves. What a terrible time to choose to go AWOL. At a heinous moment in your history, when Jezebel's bringing in Phoenician worship, Ahab, this man-pleasing, is simply brought this this accommodation of all the different other beliefs and gods and everything together. We've got a word for that today, right? Universalism. And here is Jezebel not only bringing a Phoenician worship, but literally a spirit of witchcraft amongst God's people and an influence that so threatened them that the prophets hid in caves. Now stop. Prophets are supposed to prophesy. Prophets are supposed to declare the mind of Christ. If there was ever a time to declare the mind of Christ is when you got an Ahab and a Jezebel sitting over your nation. But it says they hid in caves. I'm sure they were singing good songs. They were probably singing a song, you make me brave, you make me brave. But it's hard to sing, you make me brave from the cave. Come on, somebody. There are two ways of lying to people. One. And I go, I'll go to Whole Foods, and I'll, I'll go through their deli. They weigh their food, and you pay it based on the weight. So two ways of lying to someone. My food that they put on there could be half a pound. The person, because the scale isn't facing me, can lie to me and say, your food is 0.75 pounds. They lied to me. I'll pay more for it. I never know. They slapped a sticker on it. I go pay at the checkout stand, and I just assume they're right. That is one way of lying. Another way of lying is to somehow get into the scale itself and alter the reading and it somehow cause the scale to read that is .75 when it's really half and you can flip the scale around and let me see. Now it's a whole nother level of lying, if you will, and I would call this pure lying because you've tampered with the scale itself. What has happened in America is we've tampered with what truth is. And we've gotten to this place where I believe we've elevated our feelings to the point where now people will defend their opinions and their feelings. I'm talking about people that follow Christ. And if you have that uh, sentiment, you will cave in to the spirit of Jezebel that's over the land. Because until you learn to stand with truth, you'll never stand at all. It'll be the one thing, if it wasn't for one thing, I'd be doing what you're doing. What is it? The ladies. It would be something else. So here is this thing. Three things, and I'm going to do this because I want to do this in time. Three things that I believe you've got to risk if you're going to launch a movement and turn a nation around. Because that's exactly what Elijah, and remember Malachi says, that God is going to send the spirit of Elijah again. Now, this guy multiplied food for a widow. So the dude had an awesome feeding program. The dude raised the youth from the dead. That's social justice to the nth degree, okay? But none of that in and of itself turned the nation around. As powerful as it is, and as much as we should be involved in that, it wasn't until he called down fire on Mount Carmel that a nation turned around. Now, here are the three things you got to risk. You guys ready for this? And I'm doing the condensed version. Number one, you've got to run the risk of being falsely labeled. Now, in order for there to be an outpouring, the first thing God required of the prophet is you got to go show yourself. It means to make visible. It means to, to, to manifest. It means to show up. That you have to be in a place where you're willing to confront the prevailing powers, ideologies of the day, if you're going to launch a movement. Because you can't lead the crowd in the midst of the crowd. You cannot be frozen in a culture you've been chosen to transform. And if there's ever a time for people to stand, this is the time. Now, you got to be willing to be falsely labeled. Notice the first thing, and I believe it is a strategy the enemy is using, that Ahab said, is that you, you troubler of Israel? called him a troubler. Well, that's a lie. And he turned around and said, no, it ain't because of me. It's because of you and your daddy. Okay, can we just get this straight? You're the problem with Israel. I'm not. 
But I really believe that the enemy has silenced so many segments of the body of Christ. And revivalists refuse to be silenced because you're a voice of awakening. And the voice of awakening must have volume. Right? That troubler. Now, what is the tag now? You're intolerant. You're politically incorrect. You're a hater. You're a white wing, right, white wing, right wing. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> You're a right-wing, ultra-uber, ultra-conservative Republican that voted for Donald Trump. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, and I'm not making a political statement. I'm saying that there are so many labels that Christians are backing away from, and I'm going, is that all the devil has to do is put a, a threat you with name-calling and we would back off truth? We've had spiritual ancestors that had hot lead poured down their threats, torn between chariots, uh, slid down uh, Nero's uh, uh, backyard. At Fox of Fox's Book of Martyrs describes it as a torturous slide, and they refused to deny Jesus. One of them even said, after he saw his kids die, wife die, now he's about to die for not denying Jesus. And as the guy's getting ready to go down, knowing he'll be decapitated and dismembered all the way down for Nero's uh, entertainment, he said, alas... Oh, but I had a thousand lives to give for my Savior. And I think that we have spiritual ancestors. That man refused to run from the guillotines of torture, and we roll from the butter knives of ridicule. I think you got something more on you than that. If you're going to launch the movement, you got to be willing to be labeled. You got to run the risk. Hey, they may not, uh, uh, you know, call you what you want to be called, but if all the enemy has to do is put a name some sort of derogatory term, and we will back off truth, then we will miss our moment in history to see, I believe, a generation impacted and a new Jesus people movement hit the earth. If your ambition is to avoid trouble, you will, in fact, in every essence, sever the communication lines of your destiny if you run from truth. Second thing. You not only must run the risk of being falsely labeled, you have to run the risk of being misunderstood. He not only said that you're a, a, a troubler, you know, he went on to describe why you're the problem with the entire nation. I'm not just going to call you a name. I'm going to blame you. Let me tell you something. You're salt and light. Where would America be without followers of Christ? As much as people want to feel like the real enemy in America is Believers, I'm telling you, salt preserves. Before you could go to Sears or wherever you go and get your Frigidaire, back in the day, the ancients, they had to preserve their food with salt. Salt and light are about contrast. And the greater your consecration, the greater your contrast. So here is what the enemy's trying to do. He's trying to say, man, I'm going to be misunderstood. In fact, it, Elijah is at a point of so being misunderstood in the prophetic movement, they literally are hiding. They're together, they're hiding, and here is Elijah, comes out out of no place, and he's, being, he's willing to risk being misunderstood. Are you willing to risk that? It's one of those careful things. I, I got to say this, and I got one last quick point, and we're done. I remember being in North Carolina, man. Uh, I've been there many times, and I went to Billy Graham's library. Yeah, me and Billy are like this. No, no, I'm kidding. It's kind of a museum. Kind of tells the story of Billy Graham's life. And it begins with this animatronics cow. Billy Frank used to milk me 5 a.m. in the morning. You know, and they kind of describe. Then you go to another room. That's true. That's what the, I have a photograph. That's what the cow. I'm like, a TMI, TMI, too much information. I don't need to know that. All right. So we're going. And then we go to kind of a, a room that looks like it has hay on the ground. There's a tent meeting. Mordecai Ham was an evangelist, led my hero Billy Graham to the Lord. Then it goes to a room that's Billy Graham in media. And it showed him in the 1970s. And he's in Woody, on Woody Allen's show. Woody Allen was like the Bill Moyer of that day. Now he sits at Knicks games, okay? But back in the day, he had a, a show, and he's written movies or whatever. And he's on there, and he says, Billy Graham, what do you, what does the Bible say about sex before marriage? And Billy Graham sat there. And this, oh, man, this is my, well, my hero. He says, and the Bible says. <laughs> and then he began to describe it. And I fast forward. I'll never mention names. And I believe that this particular gentleman has really come back to clear it up, and I appreciate that. But I fast forward in my mind as I was seeing it, it was probably within a week that a, a major name minister got on a secular show and asked 
what do you and the Bible say about same-sex marriage? And right there, uh, and I won't quote it because then that would identify him, he evaded the issue, and I began to cry. Because I thought, man, when I gave my life to Christ, there were Billy Grahams and there were people like that that stood for truth. My concern is not for this particular minister's salvation. My concern is not for his theology. I actually have done conferences with him. I believe the dude has got some awesome stuff. Praise God. I'm a fan of anybody who preaches the gospel. My concern was with a generation that when the heat was on and you were on a show and the mic was on, that you didn't stand for truth at, because of the risk of being misunderstood. And I know, I know exactly the rationale. I know how you can work it in your head. And yet I thought that there's so many people that until you speak the truth, notice this, the Bible doesn't say you shall know opinions and opinions shall set you free. The Bible says you shall know the truth. Why do you think the devil doesn't want you to stand with truth? And the people that had him on the show, they knew what he should have answered. They've done their research. They're bringing you on as a minister. They know what you ought to say. But when the mic is on and you could get some hateful emails and you might risk losing some Twitter followers, will you still stand for truth? Third and final thing. Everybody smile with me. It got a little intense. Smile. There we go. We took a smile break. Third one. You got to run the risk of offending others. You got to run that risk. I want everybody to look at me seriously. And we're done. If I can get someone to come to the keys. You got to run the risk of offending people. Now, that's not the goal. I'm not trying to offend anyone. I, I, I would like to be liked. Come on. How many of you know, like, People have three-by-five cars, and they'll put their favorite scripture in their bathroom window or wherever they're memorizing scripture. They'll put it up on their refrigerator so they remember it. You know, I've yet to see anyone have a three-by-five car where Jesus said, you will be hated on account of me. I'm confessing that in Jesus' name, Lord. I claim that right now. Let that be my reality. Like, nobody won't. But Jesus said that. No disciples above his master. We need to walk in love. And that's a whole other message. And, man, we're, we're not... <laughs> We really need a new baptism of love in the body of Christ. But you know what I'm concerned about? There'll be no revival without a back to the Bible movement. I want to give you a quote by a minister that really would be known in this area, and I appreciate him. John Piper. Here's his quote, and I'm closing. He says, my feelings are not God. God is God. My feelings do not define truth. God's word defines truth. My feelings are echoes and responses to what my mind perceives. And sometimes, many times, my feelings are out of sync with truth. When that happens, and it happens every day in some measure, I try not to bend the truth to justify my imperfect feelings, but rather I plead with God, purify my perceptions of your truth and transform my feelings so that they are in sync with the truth. What I'm saying is this. This is Sean Smith's paraphrase of this great theologian and awesome man of God. If you're a follower of Christ, you have no right to your opinion. You must take the word of God and make it your opinion. But guess what? As you do, you'll be able to call down fire. As you do, you have fulfilled that aspect of what God requires before he pours down his spirit. God confirms truth with signs and wonders. I'm often asked, Sean, help me to begin to flow and to begin to see God's miraculous power. And I, I, intimacy with God. And you could just stay there. That Just get along with God. But the other thing is, and this is what I believe, the Lord works with, it says in the, in the Gospels, the Lord, speaking to the disciples, the Lord, Lord work with them, confirming the word with signs that follow. I believe that if we'll preach the truth, God will show up and endorse that. God doesn't have to endorse opinion. So much of our <laughs> de-supernaturalized, neutered, message today is that we don't stand with truth. And if we will, I believe the signs and wonders movement that I believe that God said, the works I do, you'll do greater works than these. You do because I go to my father. You got to stand with truth. You know the rest of the story, and that's why I can save us a lot of time. rest of the story is this guy, Elijah, stands in front of the nation of Israel, and what did he do? And this is part of the message. He called them out of double-mindedness. He said, how long will you halt between two decisions? If God is God, serving Baal is God. He's saying the day of having one eye here and one eye here and trying to please God and trying to please man, he says the era of double-mindedness is over, and that's the reason why there's been such a bondage in the nation. I want you to decide right now you'll go after God. And this was all phase. This is probably phase two of this great outpouring and revival. In phase three, this guy gets up 
in front of all the people that had called him names, all the people that misunderstood him, all the people he offended, and he called down fire and an entire nation turned back to God. You stand with truth, God will stand with you. Bow your heads. Jesus, Lord, I just thank you, God. Lord, I, uh, mm, my heart really does break in that we're not representing Jesus well in the area of love. And if I had another message to squeeze in these three messages, I would preach on love. But I feel like we're getting a lot of messages on that. We may not be operating in it, but we're getting a lot of messages on it. I feel like we also need a message that calls us back to the plumb line of truth. It says, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And Lord, we're willing to follow the long legacy of martyrs and even modern day martyrs in the persecuted church. I've gone to the, to the uh, and spent time with some uh, underground church in China, went to China, and I'm amazed, amazed. Been to the Middle East and amazed. And I'm saying, God, we need that book of Acts moment where God so touches us with his spirit and his love that fear of man is broken off of us because that's what it really is. And the fear of man is robbing us of our destiny, our exploits, and our impact in the earth. Lord, we repent of man-pleasing. Lord, we repent of the fear of man, fear of the future, fear of the unknown, fear of men. The enemy will, will aim a missile warhead of fear at us in a moment. But love is not just love because I tell people what they want to hear. That's not really love. Love is, I want you to be able to step in the best, most awesome life available. And I don't want you to step off a curb and get hit by that SUV coming around the corner. So if I got to yell at you for a minute and pull you back, man, hey, it's all worth it if at the end of the day, that's not a fatality. Lord, we're to rescue the perishing. And maybe some of the perishing is right around us because we're perishing for lack of truth. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Just begin to sing a chorus. In a moment, I'm going to open up these altars and pray, and I know we're bumping up an hour, but I feel like real quickly this morning, more so tomorrow, tomorrow we want to pray for students. I'm going to speak very, very little. We want to pray for students for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We want to fully pray and just be led to the Spirit. But I feel like God has something. So just sing a chorus. If you could hang like maybe five minutes, it will be worth it. If you got to go, totally get it, totally understand it. Just quietly, just... Uh, uh, remove yourself and, and man bless you we love you we'll see you tomorrow go ahead Dan just sing just sing
I'm going to open up this altar, but I feel like at least there's three things that I feel like the Lord is speaking to me. I feel like right here in this center section, there's a, a, a female, and you have got multiple allergies. Many of them are food allergies, but there's even some environmental or whatever kind of allergies. I don't know if you've been diagnosed as having celiac disease, but we're not just talking about your lactose intolerant. There are multiple different allergies and things, and it really affects, if, if I could say this, at times and seasons, the quality of your life. And there's a female right here in this section. Where are you at? Right here. It's a female. I'm pointing right at you. Stand up. Amen. 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 Awesome. Awesome. I love this. Can I get a, a gal right next to her? Place your hand. Could everyone else sit down just for a second except for her? That way we're going to, unless there's someone else in this section that you're also doing, uh, and we'll get this. And I'm not sure if you're up here over here, and I, I'm not seeing well because I'm very light sensitive. I felt like the Lord says there's a guy right over here in this area. You could be up top. You could be down. Oh, thank you. You have had digestive issues. There aren't just that you ate a bad pizza. You had Domino's last night at 2 a.m. and shouldn't have done that, okay? Uh, there's something else going on, and I'm not sure if it's like a, uh, it's like a, a lower digestive colon thing, and I'm not sure if it's, uh, amen. Well, there's a gal, but there's a guy. There it is, sir. Stand up. Yes. You stand up as well. Hey, I, I'll never turn someone back down. Amen. Someone place your hand right there on our brother, uh, Abdomar, our sister right here, right here. Amen, 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 amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Close your eyes for a second. Lord, we just bless you. We thank you. We praise you, Jesus. You're so awesome. So awesome. So awesome. I just see this picture of a guy right here in this air. Something went off. I, it seemed like it's been a while back. Some sort of thing went off by your ear. You've had a diminished hearing, and, and I think the term is tinnitus, not tendinitis. Tinnitus, a ringing loss of hearing in one of your ears versus your other ear. You had some, you, some sort of loud noise, some sort of thing. I don't know if you were, uh, I don't know if you're by, I don't want to put it, I don't know if it's a gunshot, backfire, something, but you have had an issue with one of your ears in particular in your hearing, and there's a ringing and even some pain right there. Stand up. Amen. Can I get someone to lay your hands? These are the three we're going to pray for, and then we're going to open these altars. Place your hand on our brother's abdominal area. Place your, is it okay? Place your hand on her chest. Place your hand on his ear. I, I, oh, man, there's another brother. Awesome. I believe in placing your hand as much as possible in proximity of where it's at, where, if it's appropriate, given that. Okay. Let's pray for these. Father, in the name of Jesus, Psalms 107 verse 20 says, you sent forth your word to heal. God, we curse every spirit of infirmity. We break every yoke of sickness. We speak to our autoimmune system. We command our autoimmune system to be rebooted in Jesus' name. We say your immune system will not be falsely threatened by ingredients and chemicals and foods and atmosphere, allergies, any of that stuff. We speak, Lord, the release of heaven. Father, we pray over our brother and our sister, lower abdominal digestive issues that are uh, more than like a little upset stomach. I'm not even talking acid reflux. It's a more se severe condition that's been diagnosed. But we declare, Jesus, you use science, doctors, medicine, but we look through them, beyond them, to the great physician. We say these signs follow them that believe. We'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Your word says, Isaiah 53, you took up their infirmities, you bore their sickness. By Jesus' stripes are made whole. So Lord, like the woman of issue of, with issue of blood, we release healing virtue. Come on, place your hand in that area and you keep praying. Somebody, you pray out loud. And Father, we pray over our brothers. We command the eardrum, any trauma that has occurred to the ear that would cause loss of hearing or ringing. We command those ears to open up. That, that Lord, I don't know the, the normal measurement of hearing, but you know it. Lord, raise their levels to the normal measurement. We command your ear and hearing. We command it to line up with the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We say we forget none of your benefits. You pardon our iniquities. You heal all, 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 all our diseases. So we speak healing power. I know it's 1204, but if you're saying, I want the fear of man broken, I believe if we will stand with truth and preach truth, Jesus will show up and show off. But if you're saying, I need the fear of man, fear of man-pleasing, this kind of thing where I'm kind of afraid to stand with truth in terms of what other people will think or believe. And I, I say this, the smile of God makes the frowns of men irrelevant. 
And if you believe that, I want you to stand up. And if you need a breakthrough in that area, come on down. And I believe it will be the key for your life being used for the demonstration of God. God wants to, Acts 2.22, how God endorsed Jesus of Nazareth. What we've lacked is the endorsement of God. I'm telling you, the endorsement of God is coming back. Coming, I mean next level endorsement. I know he endorses the message, all that. I'm talking book of Acts level endorsement. And it happens because we stand with truth. Keep coming. If I can get some leaders, I feel like this is very much, yesterday was you get along with God. This one is very much, we need people to come lay hands on folks. So if you're here, maybe even some of the pastors, if you'd step out, other students, you know them, come and let's have people, you know, Maybe not a crowd of 20 folks shouting in glossolalia in your ear or something. But if we can at least get a person per person, begin to lay hands and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, your word says you have not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, a love, and a sound mind. Lord, we declare in this hour we will not forsake our love for truth. We're going to walk in love. But love doesn't mean that we'll refuse to be a voice or we're silenced. It doesn't mean like 1 Kings 18, we cave in to Jezebel. Lord, we're not. We're going to declare the truth in love. So, Father, we break the fear of man off of you right now. We break man, please. Come on. Your mouth is a launching pad of the Spirit. Out of your own mouth, say, I break agreement with a man-pleasing spirit. The enemy can only operate in a power when he finds agreement. You have to break agreement. So I break agreement with a man-pleasing spirit. That's Ahab. I break agreement with Jezebel. Jezebel looks to manipulate and control and has an agenda. We see both these spirits in the land. We need the spirit of Elijah. Come on, keep praying. Come on, tell them, I will not be ashamed. I will not back down, not in this hour. The gospel message is too great. The need is too strong. My Savior is so awesome, and those people are hurting so much. I'm not backing down, backing up, backing off, or backing away. You have a spirit in you that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. He's alive in you now. Quickens your mortal body. I will not be ashamed. I will not be ashamed. Some of you need to yell it. I, I know I'm loud right now. I'm not always loud. But I am now. Some of you just need to yell it. Say, I will not be ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the cross. I'm not ashamed of my Savior. I'm not ashamed of this matchless message of the gospel.
Hallelujah. Don't break the atmosphere of the setting here. Uh, one of our professors, uh, Bill Tibbetts, has a word from the Lord that he would like to share with our university. I just feel like the Lord wants to speak directly to someone here today. As a child, you were betrayed by people who were, to, who were there to advocate for you, who should have been there to advocate for you, whether it was parents, whether it was siblings. They were not there to protect you. In fact, they harmed you. And their behavior, the things that they said, the things that they did not say, the things that they did not do, they were not there to advocate for you. And because of that, you picked up behavior of an orphan spirit where you've picked up behavior of having to protect yourself, to defend, to fight, to keep people away, to be first, to be argumentative so that you can keep people at a distance to protect yourself. And the Lord wants you to know today that you had to fight as a child, but you do not have to fight anymore. That you are covered in the blood that was spilled for you. He has freedom for you, my brother, my sister. He has freedom. He has freedom for you. You do not have to fight anymore. You do not have to fight. He has shed that blood for you. He is there to ready to embrace you, to hold you. My brother, my sister, he has won the battle. He has won it. He has won it. He has won it. Please fall forward into that uncomfortable space that you feel because it is there he is ready to hold you, to embrace you. Your thoughts, your emotions want to betray you right now because of that orphan spirit. My brother, my sister, you are no longer an orphan. You are no longer an orphan, so you need to take that step of faith. You need to take that step of faith and it will be against your thoughts. It will be against your feelings, okay? And once you start taking that step of faith, more and more your thoughts and feelings will start to fall in line, okay? But you need to step into it, okay? I promise you, he's here, the Holy Spirit is here, and he's ready. Now's your moment, okay? And when you step into that, you're going to start seeing the patterns of that orphan spirit. And the Lord's going to start shaking those things off of you. Like old skin. Like old skin. It's going to start falling off, all right? All right? And then you're going to find brothers and sisters around you who are going to support you and keep you upright during the shedding of old skin. I'll say it again. You are no longer an orphan. You are no longer an orphan. You don't have to fight anymore. You don't have to fight. You're not alone. In Jesus' name.
God, we say you are so good. It's not a cliche, but it's true. You just whisper that to him. Say, you are good, Lord. I say this often, but my ears need to hear my mouth confess that he is good. A lot of other voices are telling my ears something else. That God doesn't understand or he doesn't know or maybe he made a mistake. But we're saying today that God is good. God, you are good. We thank you, Jesus. Listen, we're going to continue to linger here. Uh, but if you are one of our pastor's guests, again, uh, if you choose to stay in this room, there's nothing we're going to say about that. But you are invited to uh, go over to the luncheon if you're one of our guests today. But um,